Welcome to the Cloudonaut podcast. My name is Michael. And my name is Andreas. We are on a mission to explore Amazon Web Services. Listen to the Cloudonaut podcast to deepen your AWS knowledge, stay up to date and get inspired. Every month we discuss a topic about all things AWS in this podcast. This time we are talking about serverless in the enterprise. This is episode number 39 and we are recording on March 17, 2021. A short announcement before we start. Subscribe to our newsletter to get our latest content delivered into your inbox weekly. And by the way, we are raffling a one-year subscription for Cloudonaut Plus among all subscribers every month. You will find the details and the link in the show notes. Let's get started. So as I said, Michael, so I coached um, a few developers and small teams uh, building their first serverless applications, and they were working in large enterprises. Um, so this was basically the setting, and I want to share my learnings and observations um, about that. Um, so maybe the first question that I want to discuss is um, when we talk about serverless and the enterprise. So first of all, okay, a lot of a lot of things are similar, no matter if you do it in the enterprise or in a small company. But I think some of the discussions and some of the aspects differ a little bit. Um, so let's start with the why. So why is um, going serverless um, a thing to do also for enterprise customers? Um, so I think. Um, in my opinion, uh, going serverless really enables you to build scalable and fault-tolerant systems on AWS and to do that on a layer of abstraction on top of the infrastructure-as-a-service offerings that AWS comes with. And um, this solves some challenges out of the box. So a few examples. So you're avoiding idle resources and you don't need to configure scaling your infrastructure in any way. So if you want to achieve that based on virtual machines or even on containers, there's a lot of things that we need to configure. So basically, you need to find a metric for scaling and stuff like that. And that's uh, totally abstracted away when we do serverless. Um, the other thing that I find um, which is quite important for a good argument for going serverless is um, if you want to automate the deployment um, process and in a way that it doesn't affect in-flight requests. Um, that's basically also a challenge that is not too easy to accomplish, even with uh, containers and stuff. But with serverless, we get all of that out of the box. Yeah, you just basically you can click a button, or even better, have a infrastructure's code template um, that does this for you. Um, so this is built into um, the serverless offerings of AWS and. Um, last but not least, I think also um, an important part of serverless is you can really automate every part of the cloud infrastructure very easily um, because there's no such thing as a server um, where you need to run configuration management or something like that. So basically all you need is configurable um, VR and AWS API. All right, Andreas. So maybe um, I will um, um, add something here. So I'm not sure if everyone of our listeners is aware of what enterprise actually means. So, and this is not going to be a like perfect definition, but what, what I think what differentiates the enterprise from 
a smaller, uh, medium-sized or startup company is that A, they have a lot of existing IT infrastructure. So usually there's lots of interfaces that uh, are integrated. And on the other hand, they are, um, I would say, innovate regulated. And that could be because of internal um, um, policies that they have. So for example, could be about data encryption, could be about um, not exposing stuff to the internet. Um, But there could also be external uh, requirements, um, for example, uh, we think of GDPR, so data needs to be processed within the European Union, like personal data if it comes from a European citizen, stuff like this. So um, you can think of this as like there's lots of IT already and then there is lots of rules, uh, internal rules and external rules that you need to consider. And I think that's what an enterprise is kind of, or what, what is defining of the term enterprise here in this context. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the the next aspect that I want to discuss, which is also different, I think, from startups or small companies compared to the big the big ones, <laughs> so is um, the the people basically the people problems that you are facing. So I will say, um, when you introduce the idea of building the first serverless architecture, the first serverless application within an enterprise company. Um, that will probably not go down very well. So that's what I've experienced. So a lot of people will show up with concerns, all different kinds of concerns. Um, so Michael, <laughs> what, what are the typical concerns in enterprise companies? I would say the first is typically um, we want to be vendor agnostic. We don't want to have lock-in into a technology. That's probably um, a basic one. Uh, what else do you do you know from from enterprise customers yeah so like running running uh, or like windows uh, but but um, complaining about vendor login so that's number <laughs> one um, then number two is um, security in like very abstract uh, terms so no matter what it actually means but it's security is it secure mm-hmm. um, um yeah i think those are the two main concerns and both of them are not very um, like there is not really an argument that you can really kind of talk about because it's very abstract and there is no real concrete problem with it. It's more like a general uh, thing. Yeah. 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 That, I think there. Are, yeah. That's that's probably a good one. Then maybe the other thing is our other enterprise customers using that kind of technology as well. Is it basically too bleeding edge? Do we really want to use an unproven technology? that might come up it changes too fast stuff like that is it that's maybe uh, what's behind all of that um then people will start maybe talking about costs so we cannot calculate costs for serverless infrastructure upfront. so i think there are many many arguments that you can come up uh, if you want to make a point against building a serverless application um from my experience i would say most of those arguments are pseudo arguments so it's not really a good argument uh, to make um, but it will be hard to argue against those arguments basically that's that's what i what i see and i think um, it comes down to this is really a people problem so what you're when you build your first app, serverless application if you start a first project in your organization i think what you basically do is you're starting a change process and this always is um, not the easiest thing to do in the world, I would say. Um, so, from my experience, um, how do you how do you tackle that? So, how what how to go through that phase? And basically, what I find is 
the best way to do it is um, find a small project and a small team um, with, with highly motivated people to build the first serverless application within the organization. Um, so leave out all the people that have arguments against it. Um, try to get management support. That's essential. And then um, just with a very small team with as less dependencies as possible, deliver a solid solution. And, and then um, present that solution to the organization. And I think the, the word about it will spread automatically. That's what I learned. And more and more people will come um, down the road and will say, ah, we want to build our first serverless project as well. So that's what I've observed in, in many different organizations. It's always the pattern that someone has to start. And um, to, to build the first project successfully, I think it's important to have as less dependencies to the, let's say, old world as possible. And to have really a team, a small team if possible, um, that are really highly motivated to build something with that new technology. And I think then everything else will follow. And over time, probably over years, actually, um, more and more projects and teams will follow that road. Yeah, I see. Um, and, and, and I can like agree that, that this is a way that works. So I, I saw that in, in a project as well. And sometimes it was the same project, Andreas, uh, but it was also sometimes <laughs> uh, other clients that we worked for. So that, that is usually the best idea. I mean, you need, you need a small team um, and they start and then um, we hope that the rest will follow. So when mm -hmm. talking about people, Andreas, so what kind of skills do I have to look out for or what are the skills that I have to um, develop or uh, kind of train in my team to be successful? Yeah, very good question, Michael. I think that's basically a good course. Um, building a serverless application is really totally different than building an application in a way that we did for on-prem or even for deploying it on, on containers or virtual machines. And um, I came up with a learning path, basically with a list of AWS services or parts of AWS um, that are important for building serverless application. I want to go through them. So I think it all, it starts with identity and access management, which is basically authentication authorization on AWS. I think that's an important one. The next thing is Lambda. So the serverless compute engine, I would say. So learn about um, really the, the, deep the deep technical details here. Um, it's important to know all about the limitations, about the way things work, what's different compared to a virtual machine. So really dive into the details there. Then there are the services to store data. S3 is, I would say, um, probably there's no serverless application without S3 involved, I would say, um, for the object store. Then DynamoDB, popular um, yeah, NoSQL database for serverless application. Um, we will discuss the database choices later, but I think that's still you need to know a little bit about it, even if you don't want to use it. Then there's API Gateway. Um, so learn how to build basically a REST or GraphQL API um, with, uh, for, for your serverless application. Um, next topic is infrastructure as code. So I would say nowadays, uh, the cloud development kit, CDK, cloud formation, maybe the serverless framework, those are things to look into. Um, I would also say that our serverless um, is, should be on the roadmap for, for learning uh, serverless. 
Um, so a SQL-like database that you can use. And then I would say um, going into the AWS SDKs, so the, the software development kits that you can use to basically talk to the AWS APIs. So you need to get familiar with those as well. So that's what I would say is um, what is really important to learn when going into serverless. Yeah, I agree. And and I mean, those are all AWS technologies. And I might would add uh, something additionally, because sometimes this is uh, kind of a surprise and, and this is especially true in the enterprise context. Um, you also need to understand or learn a programming language. Because if you if you cannot um, like write your Lambda functions in, for example, um, JavaScript, in Python, in Ruby, uh, in Java, or whatever other languages are available, then you are in troubles as well. And um, those skills are not necessarily available in the enterprise context. And if you want to create a UI, you also need someone who is able to create a front end for your um, enterprise application. And that usually is using web technologies. Mm. So those are also skills that, that might need to be trained depending on um, the, the team. Yeah, Because, for example, there are very often very large frameworks used in the enterprise to create applications where it might not be necessary to actually deal with the ui because it's all generated and things like that but that will likely change here in this context so yeah those are maybe two skills that you have to make sure that this is also somehow available in the team uh, otherwise uh, it, it will get um, very hard to to do something actually yeah. and i think also that is an important that's maybe this is all that is maybe a disadvantage of serverless at all because i think Uh, all of that, what we have discussed, um, or most of that, is something that um, enterprise organizations do not have the skills for. So they need to build those skills by training people, by hiring experts. Um, so I, I would say most of the organizations that I've seen, they're really starting from scratch here. And that's definitely, I would say, a disadvantage because you have to invest um, to make that um, You have to build up that skill set, um, basically. Okay. Yeah. So maybe one example um, before we continue, Andreas. So adding a form to a website, I mean, that sounds very easy if you are using things like, uh, like there are big frameworks like Apex or, or stuff like this. And if you want to add a form, like in the serverless context, okay, what do we need to do? Okay, we need somehow the front end, we need somehow to create this HTML, which is the, uh, the form. We need input validation. Oh my God. So how to add this on the front end? Then we need an API gateway to send this data to. Then we need to do maybe authentication. We might need to do the input validation again. So how do we do this again? And then we need to do something with the data. And I mean, that's that's all something that you have to kind of deal with. It's not automatically taken care of. So serverless is not really, it's not a framework. It's more the approach, I would say. Uh, and this is has to be something that, that you have, or you have to be aware of that that it, it actually doesn't help you at all to get form data into your database. Definitely, yeah. So next, I want to talk about the compute part. So when you think about a serverless architecture, uh, Lambda is the obvious choice for the compute layer. Um, so Lambda allows us to execute our source code without needing to take care of the infrastructure beyond that. Um, um, but... Um, I think what's important to know is that Lambda comes with a few limitations. So compute memory networking resources are much more limited than, for example, when uh, spinning up an EC2 instance. Um, special requirements for CPU, GPU, memory or something 
can sometimes only be met very difficult or not at all. And then we have stuff like the function invocation timeout, which is 15 minutes right now. So we need to slice our problem into chunks that Lambda can process within less than 15, uh, 15 minutes. And important is even the outliers uh, need to be processed within that time frame. I think that is really important. And um, so from a developer perspective, I think another thing that, that is important to understand is that Lambda really runs your code in the cloud. And it's not that easy to build up a development environment on your local machine that replicates that. So some use some tooling for that. There are, there are tools available, but you need to basically find out which works for you and, and uh, implement that. Others don't do it at all. They just deploy everything to a test or development environment and test it there. But I would say to, to have an efficient development workflow, you need to invest in some tooling or basically to get familiar with, with the setup. Um, so that's different than just yeah, building a, a, a simple Java application or something that you just run on your local machine. Um, so I think that is uh, important to, to know when, when we talk about compute and Lambda for um, for serverless. Um, the alternative on a compute layer is, I would say, maybe Fargate. So now some say Fargate, so the container service basically, is not really serverless. I'm not sure if, if it's really worth to go down <laughs> that discussion. So I, actually, I don't care about this discussion. But I think um, the, the similarity is with Fargate, we also um, are able to run our source code on AWS without spinning up EC2 instances, without taking care of virtual machines. What is a little bit different is we have uh, a long-running container, a long-running process, which on the one hand, from, from a billing perspective, we are back into that bill per hour, bill per minute uh, thing. On the other side, from a programmer's perspective, we have a long-running process, which is very similar to what we have been doing for years and maybe decades um, before on-premise or even in the cloud. So the programming model is, is very similar to what um, people already know about. So that is maybe the, the important thing here to mention. Yeah, and the big advantage that comes with that um, is that you can use your existing frameworks. So you can use a Spring framework, for example, run your application uh, or develop your application using the Spring framework, which helps you a lot to get like all this, for example, data input validation and stuff like this. I mean, it's all built in. Um, so you can reuse that skills and you can reuse that technology. Um, and that's, that's helpful. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind when you choose the, the, the compute layer. That's right. Yeah. So of course, there are some baseline costs when going the Fargate uh, way. Um, you also have to scale it uh, with your own metrics and stuff. But I think, yeah, it's 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 at least worth considering Fargate as an alternative. And I would also say Fargate on ECS, <laughs> which is um, much less complex. So yeah, Lambda is the obvious choice. Um, but I think, um, yeah, keep in mind that Fargate might be an option as well. Okay, so the next topic I want to discuss, this is really an enterprise topic. Now we, we are going, we're coming to net, and the network is basically um, in every enterprise project, no matter what you do. Basically, the network is what slows down everything because the network has um, grown over years and decades in those enterprises. There are um, 
lots of different teams typically involved for, I don't know, DNS, firewalls, uh, all that stuff. So it's, it's typically very, very complicated um, to, to configure and to get network connectivity um, in those enterprise customers. So when we talk about serverless applications, um, I think the important thing to, to see here is typic typically our AWS basically designed all the services like API Gateway, Lambda, DynamoDB, and all of that. That's really designed as web services. So that means all of them are accessible via an internet-facing API. And also the API Gateway by default just provides you an internet-facing API that you can consume. And um, so it's really designed for building applications for the internet. And now in the enterprise world, that's something that most organizations are totally unfamiliar with. Because the default is we build all our applications for the internet, for internal private networks only. Um, because there's still that thinking that this is the most secure way of doing things. We want to have it on our, in our own networks under our control. And um, I think that's where really um, the two things clashes, the culture of the network in enterprises and then what serverless is doing. Uh, I think that is important. And because I think with, with serverless, really the idea is we have a, really a web application, a web service. We do strong authentication authorization. Of course, we rely on stuff like TLS and so on to make it secure, but it's accessible over the internet. And now um, the question is, is it possible to build a serverless application uh, for the internal network only? So, so that's something I've been doing recently. And I wanted to share a little bit of, of the learnings here. And um, what, we, what we didn't mention here is, so there will be two blog posts um, that we will publish along with uh, this podcast episode. You will find the links to that in the show notes. So if you want to re read the stuff that we are discussing right now uh, check them out and also now as we are diving a little bit more into the technical details you will find um, example code and stuff like that in that blog post as well so that might be worth checking it out um, yeah so how do you build um, a serverless application that is only accessible via vpn or maybe a direct connect connection um, so first of all it's possible um, <laughs> but it's, I would say it's quite complicated to do so, but let's, let's talk through that a little bit. So what's the alternative, Andreas, maybe before we go down the, the, the hard path, um, I mean, you could also convince the people in the enterprise that, that running stuff in the internet is, is, is not a, is not a problem, but that will probably take you five years. <laughs> um, so, um, we present you an idea that might take half a year so you can get your serverless application out. Uh, in the internal network um so but yeah maybe you can also work in parallel on making sure that the mindset changes um, um in the next couple of years i think also um the, the mindset in those enterprise company it starts to change slowly so i think many our organizations work on stuff like how can we um, provide apis or even web applications um by making them accessible to the internet um because of of course um Enterprise customers are facing problems like uh, remote work, um, connecting with third parties, stuff like that. So it's obvious that the internet is uh, the easiest choice here. But I think it will take probably a few years uh, until we are at that point. 
Um, so yeah, it, it might be a shortcut to just uh, start with a serverless application that is only accessible um, via in internet, so only via VPN or, or direct connect. So yeah, so basically it is uh, serverless for hybrid cloud. <laughs> so, so I always try to run away when someone is building a hybrid cloud, but, but that's how it is. Okay, so, so how, can you, how can you achieve that? So what's the architecture um, that you can help? So the assumption is we are building a serverless application, including a backend and a frontend. So typically that is you have a REST API and you have a single page application, for example, written, written in Angular or with uh, React or something like that. Um, so that's, that's the overall goal. So how do we build up the serverless infrastructure for that? And also an assumption that I want to make here is um, we have the corporate network, which is connected to your AWS VPC. Uh, let's say via VPN, it works uh, the same way when you have a direct connect connection as well. Okay, so that's the, the setup that we have and now the question is how does the serverless architecture look like so um, it starts uh, of course uh, with an api gateway so the api gateway allows us to build up a rest api and to forward incoming requests to a lambda function to build a backend yeah so to probably the lambda function then connects to a, a database fetches data and so on um, so that's that's the obvious part. So now we want to have that in the private network. So what the API REST gateway, so this is one of the options that AWS provides, um, is also able to build, it's, it's possible to configure it as a private API gateway, which means it's only accessible from within, uh, within the VPC. And it only has, uh, only allows internal network connectivity. Um, so that's the first thing we need. Um, now the problem that we have, <laughs> and that's that's basically the thing, um, to be able to connect to that, um, we we create also a VPC endpoint. Um, so that is uh, allowing us to send traffic from our VPC and also, by the way, over the VPN connection to our API gateway. Um, the the thing here is now there there's a limitation with the private API gateway, and that is it does not support custom domain names. Uh, so let's say you want to have uh, myapp.local.mycompany.com as the domain name for your application, also for the front end, because users need to interact with it. You need uh, a speaking, uh, rememberable um, domain name. Um, the problem is that the API gateway with uh, the private configuration does not support that. It's supported for the, inter the internet-facing ones, but not for the internal ones. So that's a bummer. And how to so overcome that problem? Um, so one solution that um, I found and others are using, and I've been using it uh, for, for two uh, serverless applications now, is you, you, you add an application load balancer to your architecture. And basically now what you can do is you have the application load balancer that handles the TLS and the custom domain name as it used to be, and it forwards the requests um, so the targets of the load balancer basically are the IP addresses of the VPC endpoint that you created pointing to the application load balancer. And by doing that, you basically add another layer that is capable of um, adding that custom domain name capabilities because it terminates the TLS connection and sends that to the API gateway. 
Okay, Andreas, one question. So just to make sure that I understand it correctly. So we use this approach both for static assets like the mm-hmm. images, CSS, JavaScript, and we also use it to invoke the API and, and get fetch some data, post some data and stuff like this. Is this correct? Yes, exactly. That I forgot to talk about that. Absolutely. So um, the static the static assets, so that's the next question. So if you build a single page application, we have compiled JavaScript, uh, CSS, HTML, stuff like that. And the typical way of delivering that assets is to have an S3 bucket and then to deliver it from there to, to the users, to the browsers. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the way I, um, I solve that problem is because, again, if you want to have that over the internal network and not <laughs> through internet, um, because yeah, typically you would do CloudFront and S3, that's the, that's the simple solution, but then that goes over internet and not through your internal network. So, yeah, one solution is to have the API gateway forward those requests to the S3 bucket. So you can configure API gateway not only for Lambda, but also for other AWS services like S3. And by doing that, basically, um, yeah, you can have the same mechanism that we discussed for the backend and for the front end. That's, that's uh, definitely um, one way of solving that problem. Okay, I see. And now I have one additional question, and then I, I think I'm done. So, I mean, we can run the Lambda function in VPCs as well. So we can make sure that, um, and then I think we need lots of um, endpoints, like connect to CloudWatch logs, connect to uh, maybe DynamoDB, connect to whatever we, we want to access. Um, but if the API, ga- or when the API gateway invokes the Lambda function, I mean, that will be done over public internet, right? <laughs> Don't don't tell anyone yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, or at least so we don't know. So we have no control over that part of the network. Yes, that's that's correct. Because the API gateway, actually, I don't think that is specified how that works. But I would assume it's just using the public uh, API. So probably, uh, so of so most likely, of course, AWS will not route that traffic over internet because it doesn't make any sense. They will route it through their own networks, of course. Okay, I see. But we don't have any control over that. Yeah, that's correct, Michael. <laughs> but usually no one is going into that much detail here. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, okay, yeah, so that's the, the solution. It's, it's quite complicated to set things up. So check out the blog post. I have Terraform examples in there if you want to rebuild something like that. Um, I think that could be very helpful. Um, maybe one last thing about that topic. An alternative, alternative to that is... Um, you can also just just much more easier have an application load balancer that invokes Lambda functions um, right away. Um, so by that, the whole infrastructure, serverless infrastructure, becomes uh, much more uh, much simpler. Um, but of course, you're losing all the functionalities from the API gateway. So the authorization part, the throttling part, then you have to all of that build that on your own. So. I've used this approach with ALB pointing directly to a Lambda function for very, very simple APIs where I had full control over the clients as well. Um, but it's probably, yeah, it's an alternative, but it comes with uh, limitations as well. Um, also, and worth noting, I, I haven't tested it yet, but AWS introduced a so-called interface VPC endpoint for S3 as well. So that is very helpful if you want to access an S3 bucket over a VPN connection, um, which was not possible before. Um, but yeah, as I said, I haven't done it yet, but I think it should be possible now. 
as well. Um, so that might simplify it as well a little bit. Okay, so I would say to summarize that discussion, so <laughs> as we said, um, try to convince the organization to build an internet-facing application because it's much more, uh, much simpler. And if not, there are ways to build it for an internal network as well, um, but it's, um, it, it's getting a lot more complex. Um, so the next thing I want to add to the discussion is um, let's discuss about um, the databases. So um, what are the um, um, options here? Um, the database options, I would say, are basically you have two valid options. One is um, DynamoDB, the other is Aurora Serverless. And um, maybe to make that uh, argument here, DynamoDB is, the, I would say, is more serverless than Aurora Serverless because you pay per request, um, but it is a NoSQL database and it's, it's much harder to get your head around that. So especially for teams that are starting to build with their first application, it might be easier to go with Aurora Serverless. And one important aspect of Aurora Serverless is it, it's a SQL-like database, so it comes with Postgres or MySQL compatible interfaces. And it also comes with a data API, which is important in the context of Lambda. Um, so uh, it's also a good option, I would say, for building uh, serverless applications here. So um, in summary, I would say um, the, when the data schema and the query patterns are very straightforward, then I think it's maybe an option to go with DynamoDB. But I would say serverless or serverless is a good alternative, and especially if you want um, yeah, to make it a little bit easier for developers and architects to start with serverless, it might be a good thing to, to go with Aurora Serverless for the first project, maybe. Yeah, I can agree. And maybe one warning, um, if, if this is your first serverless project in the enterprise, don't try to use the single table design for DynamoDB. So it's, it's not made for you. Uh, mm -hmm. So this is like, if you are bored after your fifth uh, serverless application, then you can look into that, but don't start with it. It doesn't make any sense for an application used by 50 users. Um, it is completely um, unmaintainable. It doesn't make uh, any sense for small <laughs> applications. It's just wasting your uh, energy. So yeah, keep that in mind. So don't make it more. Don't make it harder than it it has to be. Um, and um, yeah, use technology that you are familiar with, if possible. For example, if you're familiar with with SQL databases, um, then uh, go with it uh, because you have to learn a lot of new stuff already. So you can keep um, or take a shortcut here. Um, and it, it's working fine. Lots of people are using it. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So the last uh, thing that I want to discuss is, um, I think what is important when we talk about serverless is um, to have that in mind that actually we're talking about highly distributed systems. And I think that's the challenge that uh, organizations fa uh, face um, when when they start uh, with their first serverless projects. Because in the old days, in the good old days, um, we had an application, we had a database, maybe they were running on the same machine, maybe on two different machines. It was not really uh, a highly distributed system. It might be have distributed among two or three uh, machines, actually. With serverless, we are entering a whole different world. 
because um, Lambda, DynamoDB, S3, all of that runs on hundreds of machines, maybe thousands probably of machines in parallel. So a lot of things change um, from what you have to have in your, in your mental model of, of all of that. Um, so what the, the benefits are that provisioning and maintaining um, this is simple, but basically writing the code for that becomes much more complex. That's what I, what I would say is the trade-off that we have here. Um, a few examples why it becomes more complex. For example, uh, Michael, you have written a blog post about that uh, a few years ago. Um, there is no guarantee that Lambda executes your code only once when you invoke a function. So it's, it's possible and probably it only invokes it once, but it's also totally possible that it gets invoked two or three times <laughs> and you have to plan for that. Um, so that is uh, important. The same is true if you have a messaging bus, so like SNS or Kinesis or stuff like that. Um, so also there, um, typically a message gets delivered once, but it might get delivered twice or multiple times in rare conditions. And you have to plan for that. And it's no excuse to say, oh, no, we don't handle that. Uh, our support team can do that on a phone call with the customer. That's not an excuse because th things can go really wrong here, especially um, when AWS faces outages or stuff like that. So you have to really think about that. And it's not that easy um, to, to do that. So um, yeah, that's, that's what I want to highlight. The other thing is um, many of the messaging services also do not guarantee um, a proper order of the messages. Um, so again, you have to think about that. What happens when, uh, I don't know, the message for um, unlocking the car comes, um, I don't know, after the message for starting the engine of the car, something like that, yeah? So that's possible because many of the services do not provide a guarantee for deliver messages in the proper order. And the third thing is also a problem in distributed systems is um, when you modify data, reading the data is eventually consistent. At least, so there are many options to get it in a consistent way as well, but you have to pay for that typically by um, with money, basically, and also with latency and maybe even availability. So um, you have also to deal with that problem that data will be stale, might be stale when you read it. So you have to plan for that as well when basically architecting or uh, programming. Um, so all of that is, um, if you don't have that in mind, and AWS does not talk too much about those things usually, so the marketing uh, slides say everything is easy with serverless, but really these are highly distributed systems, and uh, AWS does its best to abstract away those challenges, but some of them are just yeah for you <laughs> as a developer to solve. I think that is what you need to plan for. And that is why I would say that, um, yeah, really um, the skill of a general understanding of distributed systems is uh, really something that you have as a training goal or hiring goal when, um, yeah, finding the developers and architects for your serverless architectures. Yeah, Andreas, I can, I can provide one maybe example here that, that I uh, encountered recently. So when hiring um, people so what i what i prepared was and this is kind of like an example for a discussion and uh, not only about testing knowledge but also about uh, testing if 
if actually there's awareness of the problem and you can use that to either um, make sure that you train people then properly. Uh, um, so <clears throat> show them a Lambda function that does two things. For example, step number one, put something into DynamoDB. Step number two, put something into SQSQ. And then the only thing I did basically, I asked uh, what, what can go wrong with this code? And, and um, I mean, obviously, uh, for example, it could fail when you put into DynamoDB. Uh, so then um, maybe nothing happened. Maybe the function retries. It could also fail uh, after you put something into DynamoDB, but before you put it into SQS. Um, and then nothing is in SQS, but it's in DynamoDB. If it retries, you will maybe insert it twice into DynamoDB, but only once into SQS. And I think this is a good example for starting the conversation about the problems that we uh, talked about with this um, Basically, in the end, it's about idempotence. But I think this example is, is very helpful to kind of get the conversation started. Uh, like a simple function does two things, um, but yeah, both calls can fail, and they will not roll back because this is not a distributed transaction. And I think that's kind of what, uh, yeah, what this example is about. It's very small, but still it captures so much um, um, uh, concepts that you have to keep in mind. So that might help um, as well yeah, to to get the conversation started in a team. It doesn't need to be a hiring process. It could also be just sitting down and, and review the code and looking for things like that. Okay, Michael, definitely. So, so let me close our discussion. Um, or do you have something to add? No, I'm fine. Perfect. So, so I, th I think from my observation, uh, more and more large companies are adopting serverless. Um, but I think there's really a huge gap between um, what those uh, organizations are used to from their on-prem or cloud infrastructures and serverless. So I think you be aware that it will take time, energy, and money um, to basically um, make that transition. And um, on the other side, um, all the projects that I've observed and that I've um, accomplished, accomplished is they were really turning into a great success at the end. So they were able to deliver um, an application built on serverless and it was uh, working very well in the end. So I think it is worth going down that route for, for some uh, applications definitely. Um, but keep in mind that this is a, a basically a transition and it, it will take uh, some time. So that's um, maybe my summary here. Yeah, thank you very much, Andreas, uh, for um, 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 discussing this topic with, with me and with all our listeners. So that was, um, um, I think, lots of interesting points made here. So thanks for that. Did you learn something new by listening to this podcast episode? Tell your friends and co-workers about it. And also, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to deepen your knowledge about AWS even further? Besides our monthly podcast, we are publishing a video every week. Stay ahead of the game with independent insights into AWS. Within the past few weeks, we published videos about Kinesis versus managed streaming for Apache Kafka, CloudFormation modules, and DNSSEC with Route 53. Subscribe to Cloudonaut Plus to get access to our exclusive videos and online events. You will find more information and a link in the show notes. Help us to improve our podcasts and motivate us to record future episodes by sending your feedback via Twitter, LinkedIn or email. Find our contact details in the show notes. Thanks a lot for listening. We will be back in about a month 
Bye. 